0: Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Auto Car Changemakers podcast in association with Tomorrow's Journey. I'm Felix Page, I'm AutoCars news editor. Joining me today in the studio is Chris Kirby, CEO of Tomorrow's Journey, and Joseph Seal Driver, who's here to talk to us in his position as a as a mobility industry expert. But you've got you've got several titles to your name, haven't you?
1: Yeah, um uh thanks. So I, I'm the commercial director of sustainable ventures. Um uh, who one of the core f- functions of sustainable ventures is to Uh, support climate tech businesses and a lot of that is in mobility and uh, next to that I'm a trustee of uh, the charity Como UK which is the national charity for shared transportation.
0: Before we come into what those roles mean I just want to talk about something that you've done over the weekend which I think is particularly pertinent when you're talking (laughs) about sustainable mobility. You went to every Santander bike docking station in London. Uh,
1: Yes as part of a team um, of transport geeks um we did a and along with the turing institute and london data week um we docked at and undocked at every santander cycle station in london um there's there was five different teams um 80 kilometers uh and the bike's quite heavy yeah yeah they're not they're not assisted <laughs> are they? they they are pure no we didn't take an electric bike other teams might have done but um it was it was quite a fun thing to do because um we started at a pub in uh, near the Strand and went out, and then came back again. And it was kind of a race to get to all of the docks, and it was a kind of live visualization as well. I uh, think the, the, the thing I'd be
0: most scared about is the uh, is the software, is the, the system behind it, because I always feel like when you really want it to
1: work, that's when it that's when it fails you. Was it all good? I I, I didn't have any issues the entire day. That's good news. Um, and that's different to the time we did it last year. I uh, did it on a Monday, and some of the docks were full on a Monday. Cause the the flows were a bit different, but yesterday uh, being a Sunday, it was actually um, really easy. So there's no problems. Yeah. Maybe we should stop moaning
0: about
2: our commutes. Yeah.
1: Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Uh, and was that a thing you guys did? You just, um,
2: the ch- part of the challenge was planning the route and all of that stuff. not a preset one. So, uh, was a bits of tools and things you use for, for that. What was the, the yeah. did you win actually? Was it a race?
1: <laughs> oh, we didn't lose. Okay. Uh, that's nice. That's uh, so I, so I think that. The, 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 there was one team who, he, 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 he got there very quickly. Uh, um, I think there were, may have been some electric bikes involved. You know, not going to throw shade. I think electric bikes aren't cheating. Uh, but, you know, it, so so that's. Uh, but then the, the other three teams arrived at the same time. Uh, there's, there's a gent called Oliver O'Brien who is the kind of preeminent uh, data scientist uh, looking at bike sharing services globally, and he set up the routes for us. So okay, it's nice. very so one way streets and. London 10ks and all that kind of stuff. Of course, yeah, it's, pretty, it's, pretty, it's pretty cool. Yeah, it's yeah. If, you, if you if you're into that kind of
0: thing, yeah, nice, nice. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah awesome. I think I'll,
2: I'll leave it to you. But uh. <laughs> yeah, sounds good. Well, Joe, thanks for for coming on. Really appreciate you uh, joining us today. I think interestingly, to compare to some of our other guests, you know, your um, background is kind of really varied, and you've covered a lot of the mobility areas. We're often talking to people about a specific topic, and we're going to touch on a few different things today. But I guess for our listeners maybe just give us a bit of a, an overview on your your background, I think it's mm-hmm. super interesting, and then we'll pick up some of those topics.
1: Thanks, so um, I think I've worked in mobility since leaving uni uh, about uh, 17, 18 years ago, and across that time I've uh, worked in leadership roles in car sharing, bike sharing, chauffeur services, um, and uh, also worked with uh, OEMs, uh, JLR and BMW. Um, in their innovation arms or, or innovation, new innovational uh, services, um, before joining um, uh, sustainable ventures. So, I've uh, been around the block a little bit um, uh, in that in that time. Yeah,
2: yeah, awesome. And I guess from the sustainable ventures view, then, so when you are sort of now, I guess taking a look at the industry, not from the outside but from a kind of neutral position, mm-hmm. like an investor position. Um, what are the kind of trends that that you're starting to, to see in the market? What are the things that you're uh, focused on,
1: interested in, uh, kind of over the next few years. So I, th- I think the things that I'm most bullish about at the moment, um, uh, quite kind of, uh, quite interested in, are e-cargo bikes, mm-hmm. cargo bikes in general, uh, electric vehicles, and uh, e-bikes e- as part of that mix. I think it' huge. Um, we're going to see a lot more of that coming out, and I think there's going to be a lot more businesses around those, uh, that, that, around that that, that, that sector. I think there's also a lot of stuff coming um, around battery health and EV um, and the second life of vehicles. So, one of the businesses that uh, Sustainable Ventures has actually span out is a company called ClearWatt who do um, battery diagnostics. So it's a it's not not it's not a dongle <laughs> or you put it in the car. It's actually just a you know a software check, and it allows you at the end of um, end of your ownership of an EV to to give a kind of rating about the health of that battery which allows you to sell it.
0: Um, this, this, this is a big thing for EVs isn't it because often the the state of charge indicator only has eight bars on it or something and it's not particularly accurate if you want to really tell someone this battery has 93% capacity left. So does that use a digital twin is that what they
1: I'm not actually sure on the tech. Um I have to ask the, the founder Patrick for that. But um I know that they they they're actually kind of at, at revenue stage now um so People are people are paying for it, um, and what you're able to do is, is is check the health of the battery and also the history, of mm. the types of charging. Um, I was I previously worked at a CPO, a charging point operator, as well, and if a vehicle is charged ultra rapid and all the time, then the battery health is it, you know degrades. Uh, and I think when you're buying a a vehicle, if it might say one careful owner, mm-hmm. um, yeah. but if that if that careful owner has charge the battery um, uh, at ultra rapid then, uh, rather than at home then I think that's going to have a that should have an impact on the, on the on the on the resale value but I don't actually think that's that's obvious at the moment in the market.
2: Yeah it's definitely le- the least obvious isn't it I guess when you're traditionally buying a car you can look if it's got bumps and scrapes you can't always tell if someone's driven it hard or not unless you go you know mechanical check around if you kind of know what you're doing but with this it's like Inside the battery, there's not a way of lifting the hood and having a little poke around and going, "Oh, it looks like it's been well maintained." It's a, it's a
1: really interesting one. I think it's something that uh, OEMs and the industry probably needs to get a, get a handle on quite quickly. Mm-hmm. You saw um, the impact of Tesla dropping prices mm-hmm. and the impact that had on second, uh, you know, second second hand value of like iPaces and yeah. other premium electric vehicles. Um, Actually, the impact that has on people being able to buy electric vehicles because if they're if you had an iPace, um, and then you were going to sell it and it's dropped by 5,000 because Tesla dropped their prices, which means that yeah. new buyers going in are going to get the um, you know, the concept, but yeah, yeah no, no,
2: totally. Yeah, it's, it's definitely a, a yeah, one of those challenges. And I think understanding, yeah, so some of the things that making people nervous are things like that battery health, um, because it's a thing that you can't see. So if you're a traditional a car buyer for a dealership group or something—it's um, it's a lot harder to just kind of judge judge those numbers. So definitely an interesting thing. Uh, and in terms of some of the kind of wider mobility trends, we we're talking about things like ownership into usership and some of those things. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of how do you see some of that
1: that evolving? So I think in a, in a in a, in the UK we're probably uh, we're a bit behind mm-hmm. at the moment. So car sharing services uh, are probably a bit more prominent mm-hmm. on the continent um i think that's just maybe it's brexit maybe maybe it's uh just the, the uk being a more difficult operating environment but you yeah, know london um i think has a few different car sharing offer, offers at the moment mm-hmm. and probably could do a few more in mm-hmm. my opinion yeah. um the fact that it's fractured uh as a, as a unitary authority has like 34 different boroughs it's quite hard mm-hmm. to actually come in here and, and launch so if you look at um you look at over in Germany, I think you have Miles Mobility. Um, I mean, you, you have uh, Sixt as well, doing mm-hmm. quite a lot of stuff over there. Um, and then you have you have a, a lot, a lot, quite a lot of large operators. But in the UK, you pretty much have Zipcar and Enterprise, and then uh, a few others like Hire Car, etc. Yeah, mm-hmm. and and I
2: think that yeah, peer to peer. Market was quite big. We had um uh, Xavier from Shuro on yeah. earlier, but I think that's been it's still quite a hard model to to scale here in London, where you thought it potentially might be a big opportunity. I think they've done well, but some of the others have, have struggled, particularly through the through the pandemic. So, yeah, it's definitely that that the sharing thing is challenging. and One of the interesting things I always find out about London people don't realise, which you briefly mentioned, is about the unitary authorities and the difficulty. And I guess that's not just for sharing, but also for any mobility service um but maybe just to explain a little bit about that cause probably a thing people don't really understand but yeah you know, the fact it's it's difficult yeah. to you have to do it by authority almost you can't have a, a proper strategy
1: so so paris by comparison uh, mayor hidalgo um you have uh, paris got its own difficulties but mm. you have a unitary authority that can make decisions for most of the city mm. uh, sadiq khan doesn't have that um uh power here the the powers are kind of um uh Put down to the borough level. Mm-hmm. So every borough has about 250,000 people thereabouts living in it mm. Islington Camden, etc. There's 32 of them including the city of London mm. um, So getting decisions through about which car club or which bike share operator is actually quite difficult because every Authority has their own conditions and their own way of working uh, Which is legit for mm. for that borough, but then as a whole it actually makes it quite difficult to operate for example, Camden Council, you cannot drop a, a free-floating car-sharing vehicle in Camden Council. Yes. Uh, Zipcar operates uh, free-floating pretty much everywhere else in mm-hmm. London, apart from in Gosh. that borough. Yeah. So there's a kind of bit of a black hole there, uh, yeah. for example. And there's plenty of these other examples. Um, and it would be great if if if, if London had a essential repository for decision
0: making and ideas on that this is really interesting so where I live uh, I live in the borough of Hounslow and uh, people have got really fed up with line bikes being left just dumped on the street blocking the pavement so the council has now set up uh, zones where you can drop these bikes mm-hmm. and it's uh, amazing to me because not no other borough that I know of has has these designated zones they've taken a space in every car park and everything and the lengths people will go to to not leave their bike in these zones is baffling to me but I guess that's that's just a, a one borough trying to make a London-wide service work for its own purposes, but maybe it doesn't always
1: suit. I think actually the the e-scooter trials um, have those virtual docks uh, in quite mm. a lot of places yeah. uh, in in central London. I think they're quite well policed. Actually, um, I think the there's a the, the bikes outside of central London going to and other mm-hmm. areas. I think may be a bit bit more difficult. Um, I think we're getting there slowly. Um, so I think only a few days ago uh, the, there was tenders, uh, tender information uh, awarded to Tier, dots and Voy, uh, the um, uh, the micro mobility scooter operators for mm-hmm. the next uh, round of the e scooter trials. So mm-hmm. I think they they're actually delivering really consistently good good quality service, but admittedly they're still in quite a small area mm-hmm. of London. I would love to see that grow along with the bike share operations uh, to the rest of the the rest of the city. Yeah, um, in, in a high a higher way, in a higher mm. high proportion of uh, vehicles available. Um, I think part of the reason that you're uh, that you're thinking about people parking in the wrong place is um, at the moment there's a bit of misuse uh, mm. going on with some of the bikes. So if you if you if you hear a uh, someone yeah. cycling past and it goes click 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 mm. click click click. That means they've basically found a hack to get into the bike and it, use it. It always looks like
0: harder work than walking. I think <laughs> it,
1: you don't have the. If you're doing that, um, I think you know, kids will find out on Snapchat or TikTok or whatever. Maybe it's Threads now. I don't know. Um, uh, they, they've they've they 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 found out a way of getting into the bike and using it uh, for free um, without the battery actually mm-hmm. powering them. But what that means is the operator might not necessarily know. Where the well, bike is, is, and also if the person's borrowed it or stolen <laughs> it temporarily, they're not incentivised to leave it in the right place. Yeah. So we're still going through these hiccups around mm. the, the technology and the software and hardware developing, mm. but the end result will be that if you're coming back from a gig late at night or you're uh, you're kind of uh, you're you're running late, this, some of these services should be available to mm. you. Um, I think they are a benefit to the city in general. Yeah. And how do you see them
2: kind of scaling as a collaborative effort? Because I guess scooters is an interesting one. I actually have always found it fascinating watching the scooter market grow um, huge amounts of investment. And I, I always felt that scooters have a place amongst a mix of shared mobility. And for a while, particularly kind of pre and maybe be it in the pandemic people were like oh this is the future of getting around and mm-hmm. um i guess we're we're both keen cyclists so we've seen, see the value in bikes but you know there's nothing wrong with a bike it doesn't do anything that much different to a scooter but uh, how do you kind of see that landscape evolving and we were talking about vcs being burnt in the micro mobility space but it's definitely a key part of our, our future in cities but it's going to have to have a different mix i think
1: yeah i mean my personal um you know, direction would be i, I much prefer bikes mm-hmm. uh think e-scooters have a, a good part to play um they're a lot more accessible mm-hmm. um you know my kid he's like a year and a half now uh in in another half a year you know year or so he'll probably be scooting about rather mm-hmm. than being on a maybe on a balance yeah. bike rather than a, yeah. a bicycle that, which <laughs> yeah. we grew up with so yeah. actually there's a kind of generational thing as well where scooters yeah. are a lot more accessible um and also, if you're wearing a skirt or what have you, yeah. um, wearing, riding a bike is more difficult. So I think yeah, I do think scooters are really good for the short journeys and bikes may be good for slightly longer ones. Yeah. So it's important to have both. But bikes still exercise, yeah. even if it's an e-bike. <laughs> yeah. And the scooter isn't. So I think there's... Um, and Paris has banned uh, you know, yeah, the yeah. scooters uh, now. Uh, and I think in favour of, uh, of bikes yeah um, uh shared bikes, so I think there's a verdict still out, but I think they have a they have a smaller part in the mix than maybe uh the the businesses that started in two thousand seventeen
0: eighteen yeah and onwards thought what was the what was the main motivation in paris for banning e scooters
1: You'd have to ask them but um i think they asked they asked parisians um to vote right in in person uh, about whether or not they should have e-scooters or not so the people that were generally annoyed about e-scooters are uh, probably saying something quite controversial <laughs> here but are a bit older right. um probably didn't like them being parked on the pavement didn't like them being used <clears throat> um and probably the generation that would vote for them would probably vote for them electronic in electronic mm-hmm. format mm-hmm. and didn't want to go to the polling stations so i think the the vote was probably disproportionate, mm-hmm. um, and if you actually did surveys on the street, there maybe be a maybe a different uh, result. I think um, I still think that maybe they'll bring them back in time. Yeah, yeah I think
2: so. Yeah, maybe they they'll look at other the progression of other cities. So they still think the the mix that no, nowhere's absolutely nailed it in terms of the mix, uh, not just in the micro mobility sense, but where we're talking about car sharing, mm-hmm. actual cars themselves. Um, you know, owned vehicles coming in in and out cities, as well as the micro mobility. That that balance. I, I don't know. I'm sure there are cities out there that've got a good balance, but it seems like everyone's kind of finding a. Is it a bit in flux still in getting that, that yeah. structure.
1: I think I think we'll, we'll find out. I think every city will have a different mix, actually. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah, totally.
2: Yeah, Lisbon's got lots of hills. Yeah, um, scooters don't work. It. Well, they do work in Lisbon as long as you're on the flat bit on the front. As I can. Oh yeah, if you're a 118 kilo rugby player up a cobbled street on a wet day, scooters don't work, I can personally yeah, vouch I'd, for that. I'd like to see that actually. <laughs> no, no, no you don't. Was, uh... I'll tell you what, Bristol's, Bristol's really big on e-scooters,
0: it's The first place I tried one actually and that's a very hilly place, so you do find yourself doing sort of yeah. one mile an hour up a hill with a dustbin lawyer behind you, it can, be a, <laughs> it can be a bit hairy, but yeah. they're good fun, they're, that's, I think that's the heart of it, it's, I quite enjoy riding them. So
1: Yeah, I think Tier have just won that contract now, so they've got... E bikes and e scooters coming into the West Midlands, yeah, and oh, so yeah. West Country,
2: yeah, yeah, definitely. I def- definitely think that mix is a, is a good one. And, and on the topic, what we've been touching on, micro mobility. Um, we, you touched earlier on uh on COMO and, and that organisation, but tell us a little bit about um COMO, your involvement in them, but also just what they do and kind of their role.
1: So I've been a a, a, a trustee so, uh, 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 um, for about five years now, um, and COMO UK used to be called Bike Plus and Car Plus. Didn't it? Mm-hmm put the name together and it's the charity for shared mobility so i think about that as the unbundling of the car Mm -hmm. or the private car so that's uh demand responsive transport so on demand minibuses um kind of shared shared ride hailing Mm -hmm. um you have bike share car share lift sharing as well and they do a lot of work on kind of creating mobility hubs as well Mm. so um Basically, transport nodes where you can you can swap um, different ways of, of travelling, um, and so they've been going for must be going on twenty years or something like that now, um, and they've been doing an annual survey for uh, for donkeys, and it they also um, provide advice to local authorities. So, local authority wants to put in some of those services. Often, they've that part of the the local authority, the planning division, doesn't necessarily have the experience because they've had cuts or um, you know, people have moved on, and they, they've kind of been under-resourced. So actually, it's a good, good way of finding out what the best practice is for local authorities uh, to speak to Como UK, mm-hmm. and at the same time, they support the industry uh, when government thinking about pol- is thinking about policy, mm-hmm. um, but yeah so that's that's the kind of things they do yeah, yeah awesome that sounds, sounds super super interesting and uh, while you were first
2: getting involved in that you were working a bit with uh with jlr so within in motion so another yeah. thing we wanted to to touch on um but again maybe tell us a bit about that rocks it was interesting again also about work operating in london and uh,
1: yeah so that's... in motion ventures is the corporate venturing arm of jaguar land rover um i started there in 2018 as a EIR, which is an entrepreneur in residence, which is a very fancy title, but basically meant I came with like a few ideas. Mm. And um, <clears throat> so I had 10 ideas that I thought were really good. Mm. They weren't. <laughs> um, three, three, three were passable. Um, and two, two were businesses that were potentially investable. Um, one was a premium e-bike sharing service called Dash. Mm. Um, and we got it to a, a JV stage. Um, and then uh with with a with a bike sharing operator and a premium uh, e bike manufacturer and then decided not to do it mm-hmm. and haven was the the uh was the premium electric chauffeur service that we launched um through motion ventures and uh subsequently sold to black lane uh after the pandemic or during the pandemic mm-hmm. so that was a that was a pretty pretty
0: cool journey sort of the extreme <coughs> opposite ends of the mobility spectrum uh e-bikes and, and chauffeuring but i guess operate on similar principles
1: yeah i mean it was just i mean the, the dash was based on um kind of hub to hub um premium sharing so you go to hotels or you go to e and uh, those kind of those close, close kind of locations and you'd, you'd offer a um the cycle to work scheme access to nice nice e-bikes for for people to commute home in and come back to work in and actually, if we'd have done that, we'd have, we'd probably found a very good market for it during COVID, yeah. which is mm. people not wanting to use public transport at the time. So, kind of maybe it would have been interesting to have done that, but it, it, you only you only have that with hindsight. And um, Haven, we we attacked uh, what was kind of the the craziest market to go after, mm. which was Uber and Addison Lee in uh, pre the pandemic. It, if you asked anyone on the street if there was room for another chauffeur uh, uh, offering, they would have said, absolutely not. But we, we did a lot of work on um, uh, thinking about what our pro- what our product market fit could be. We did a lot of service design, we did a lot of competitive analysis, and we figured that actually launching a business based on um, electric-only, employed chauffeurs, and reliability uh, would work. Um, it doesn't sound that doesn't sound like you know that bananas so those building business on those three pillars, but uh, taking Uber uh, on uh, directly in London was probably not something you would naturally got investment for if you gone to the BC community. Well, uh, exposing my ignorance for a second, yeah.
0: but can you just tell me in your mind what what differentiates a chauffeur service from a from
1: a ride hailing service like Uber? Mm-hmm. So it's the driver. Um, so there's a real difference between um, uh, etiquette and how you feel when you're in the, in the vehicle. Okay. So you may well get into a, um, a ride-hailing service, which has got a nice car, but they haven't got out of the car to welcome you into it. When you get into the vehicle, all their stuff's on the front dash, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's things hanging down, you know, um, they're not wearing the right equipment um, or the right, the right clothing. Um, they don't check your destination if you're going to the airport. They don't check if you've got your passport with you. Um, there's a kind of there's 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 so many little things that actually mm. make up to a the chauffeur service rather than a driver. But I think you know when you've had when you've when you've been. On. The music would be a big thing for me, I think, as well. The radio that's on. Exactly. I won't, I won't
0: name any stations or else is now. <laughs> but uh, really. so
1: with with Haven, we you had you had the ability to. Um, set your preferences so before you booked a ride a journey and you'd be able to say this is the music i want this is the temperature uh you know we we'd know on the system whether or not you'd booked with previous chauffeurs before and we'd try and give you that chauffeur um we also had a hundred percent reliability so we only accepted jobs that we could do so if you are going to gatwick at you know five thirty a.m something horrific like that and you don't want to be messing around trying to find another chauffeur if they cancel you last minute uh, we would only accept the jobs that we could do based on our availability mm-hmm. and so you're, you're you're booking and we can't do it we'll give you an, maybe an alternate time um, but I think customers really like that so we had 9,000 um, customers use the service uh, um, and then you know we thought we, we, we'd be we'd beaten our MPV JLR was really happy uh, we were talking to an energy company about JV. Um, it was looking like really quite exciting, um, and then COVID, mm-hmm. and then uh, you know ninety percent of the the journeys uh, disappeared overnight. Mm-hmm. And at that point, we were kind of going, "What happens?" And thankfully, we we sold the business to Blacklane, which is the global uh, chauffeur service backed by Daimler, mm-hmm. and they took it in uh, along with my team and the chauffeurs as part of a kind of acqui hire. Um, and we then became Black Lane Electric mm-hmm. and subsequently I think had a really, really fantastic time in, in that business, uh, stayed there for two years. Oh, okay. Yeah. Nice. And how was the, uh,
2: the transition for you kind of operating in a, so I guess it's, it's not quite, um, in-house OEM innovation. It's very, very split with, with, uh, mm-hmm. motion Ventures, but, uh, still OEM back. How, how was that, um, experience and how would, how
1: was that operation? I don't think I, we could have launched Haven out of the box as a as a startup without mm-hmm. the backing of JLR. Um, it, it really mattered to the chauffeurs that they were driving an ipace and the Jaguar mm-hmm. uh, the Jaguar brand. Um, I think it gave us a lot of credibility with customers, um, and so I think while corporate innovation gets beaten on sometimes, um, you know, on Twitter, etc. I think in this instance you couldn't do it um, yeah. uh, without without that backing. Um, I certainly found it to be a great experience. Um, mm-hmm. As yeah, I think it's like being an entrepreneur of stabilizers. You've got so, for example, we had fantastic data science people that we can lean on. HR was you could, you could we can lean on, and it's all those kind of wraparound services that you, you, as the entrepreneur, can just deliver the core things you need to do. And it's actually what Sustainable ventures do for the accelerator program yeah. is that they they provide money into uh, businesses they're investing in climate tech businesses, but it's also all the wraparound services mm. that allow the entrepreneur to focus on, on on the things they're trying to do. We're seeing this quite a bit more, aren't we? OEMs
0: uh, getting into that space with yeah. capital venture arms and uh, exploring new ways of making their products more widely available. I guess uh, was that was that a big thing for JLR? Do you think making the products? Uh, cater to a different audience than might have previously experienced them?
1: Yeah, I think so. I mean, they have uh, a premium car rental service mm-hmm. and a premium uh, subscription service. Mm-hmm. And we had a premium chauffeur service. But the 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 businesses that were closer to the core function of JLR, selling cars, mm-hmm. I think naturally had a, a stronger relationship with the service to the core business, or the service of a chauffeur operator, was a nice to have, it was maybe a bit further away. Mm. Um, So yeah, I think there's a, there's a, I think you'll see a lot more of that happening because it makes sense. Um, And corporate innovation is, uh, as I say, it's kind of gets, gets a bad knock sometimes, but I think it has a place, there's a place for it.
2: Yeah, it's definitely a a fine line. I I find it um, really interesting to see a lot, a lot of these things evolve. And I think sometimes in corporate innovation, there's a real drive, almost innovation for innovation's sake it isn't really innovation it's like these these kind of projects um, someone described it to me once as you know corporate entertainment it's like put some money over here and let's all do something that's fun and we can you know sit on some beanbags and like that becomes a real like waste of um becomes a waste of money and a waste of effort but if you can as you described you know, you can use the name and the um organization to build something that wouldn't be able to be built on its own i think that's where the value comes and it's getting also the fine line between the stabilizers and the 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 jeopardy aspect together we've worked with with companies over time doing stuff and when you've fully got when when it's not even stabilizers when it's just like you're fully protected there's no jeopardy a lot of what makes startups successful is the fact that you're going right well i need to do this thing otherwise yeah can't put food on the table can't pay my staff um that's a bit stressful at times, you know, person, yeah for. Um, but if you take that away totally, then everyone's just like, oh yeah, cool, right, no. chill. So you have to get that balance right. And it sounds like they
1: did it. I mean, the, the, the team, the team was certainly brought in. There was a, certainly like a few, a few red eyes around the, around, <laughs> around the, in the morning occasionally, and occasionally over the weekend. So, I, and I think the risk and reward was was there as well mm-hmm. uh, for the for 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 myself and the rest of the team. So I think that was an issue. The only downside, I think, of being in that situation was you have a lot of reports. So uh, there are a lot of senior people within Jaguar Land Rover obviously interested in what you're doing Mm -hmm. because it has a bearing on what cars they should build in the future for chauffeur services. Mm -hmm. So all of a sudden, you've got 9,000 customers who have an opinion on that. So but if you were if you were a straight vc company without that you maybe you could maybe be 100%, 100% focused on that so there's mm-hmm. there's a little bit of drift but i think mm-hmm. on balance it was certainly um uh, a, a worthwhile thing to do and i, I would certainly recommend it yeah, definitely. definitely. Yeah, so but, nice there's about.
2: no clear line through. I've spent a lot of time thinking about it, and I think you know, if you take all that jeopardy away, then you, you lose focus. If you have too much jeopardy, then it becomes difficult, and you mm-hmm. know, you're you're on a knife edge, and it's really easy to to, to fall over or to to fall off. Um, so, I don't, there almost isn't a, a perfect path through. But if you can get those those balances, I think it's uh, it's good. And, and in in that kind of well, corporate innovation, but then kind of spinning that that question or that that theme out a little bit more, um, thinking about who the kind of players might be in the mobility space maybe some of these corporates that are able to innovate or pivot where do you think um some of the uh, disruptors is the wrong word but some of the challenges are going to be from the uh kind of auto and mobility space
1: i think there's there's there's, there's so many things happening as i said there's um uh in in electric in electric vehicles and uh, in batteries i think there's a lot mm-hmm. a lot of work a lot of innovation coming in in, those, in that space i think there's a uh, from in the B2C space to interesting businesses I've seen Acura and Kaha mm-hmm. so they're basically apps that you I forget when my MIT is so mm-hmm. put in your MIT is and you know you put in your registration and it helps you do parking across different uh, locations and then it sells your insurance mm-hmm. um, so I think there's actually some interesting um, plays going on about how you organise uh, motoring I think that, that that you'll see a bit, you see some stuff coming through. those that's that's it, it.
0: Would be very helpful for me that that reminder that that platform that caters to everything the, the privately owned mm-hmm. car needs. But that is a business model that's built around private car ownership. And if we look towards a future where car sharing is is more widely adopted, what are the what are the risks for for a platform like that? Do you think?
1: So I think that car sharing will remain uh, a niche and a growing niche, an important one Um, until you have, until it's perceived as being part of the toolkit that cities have Mm. to improve air quality, sustainability, et cetera. I don't think it's going to grow beyond that niche. I think subscription services will quite happily, you know, it could even, you know, overtake private ownership at some point in the future, because lease a lease is pretty much a subscription anyway. Yeah. So I think there's, you know, private ownership, lease, subscription on a spectrum. I, I think there's kind of blurring of lines there, but I think car sharing as uh, and car clubs I think is um, a bit more difficult. I've been in, I've, been, I've worked in that space for you know, a long time. And I always thought that I would continue to car share, and I would never own a car. Mm. I now have a child, <laughs> I have a car, right. <laughs> <laughs> and I have a car seat because <laughs> yeah, yeah. because I couldn't find I couldn't find a car sharing service that gave me a car with a car seat yeah. when I needed it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, as soon as the the kid is old enough to not need a car seat, we'll probably go back to that. But uh, at the moment, I am a, uh, a proud owner of a vehicle. What, what
0: do you uh, What do you miss about uh, when you were previously subscribing?
1: I like driving different cars. Also, I mean, and this is something that OEMs really struggle to track. I love driving BMWs and the whole um, ultimate driving machine. All that I didn't really get the marketing before driving them. They're amazing to drive. I -hmm. I genuinely love them. Um, But using that, using a a service like DriveNow or Zipcar, where you get used to driving a BMW or maybe it's a VW, I think influences future purchasing decisions. But OEMs have found it very hard to track that because it's different organisations, different life, different life stages. So you can never really assign the value of um, car sharing services to future purchases. I think as soon as, if anyone was able to do that in a smart way, then I think OEMs would love to get back into uh, car sharing. Yeah, we've,
2: um, we've talked about that on a previous um, podcast actually, again with the guys from Turo saying that we that they've talk to OEMs about kind of having the sharing and peer-to-peer as a way of p- extended test drives, particularly important for EVs when you're making that shift. It, it, having an EV is not a do you choose a BMW or a Mercedes is a lifestyle change um, and being able to test that for kind of short periods but then like longer periods, maybe month or two months before getting into a purchase, uh, I think is you know, going to be really, really key. Um, but let like I say, the attribution for how you link those two back, I mean, it's difficult enough to link back a an advert to a car purchase because of the complex journeys that people have to go through to online and then to a dealer, then to a different dealer, then to a lease company, and someone leases a car through a leasing company. But it was an ad that they saw from a dealership yeah, it's somewhere. Like, is it's almost impossible? So to, to add these extra services in, it's
1: ridiculous. tricky. I, I remember, I remember OEMs thinking about it when if you own an EV, um, giving you access to uh, uh, a vehicle from a dealer locally if you're going long distance so there was a lot of, lot of thought about yeah. how you could kind of do that through one platform um so yeah i think there's, there's there's a whole lot of a whole lot of stuff to come come in that area um in the 1980s uh oems own, owned rental companies yeah. yeah um they then sold them they then looked at getting getting into mobility services uh i think it was a uh, you know 2015 that was kind of we don't do mobility services we make cars Mm. buy a few OEMs Mm. and now it's coming back around think Kinto Stellantis uh, Mm. Kinto being Toyota Mm -hmm. they're actually doing quite a lot of innovative things Um, but they're still often uh, in small scale Um, but I think the hype cycle and the kind of the nature of this uh, will we'll come back. Yeah. When, the, the, when, when the, does it? Sorry, yeah.
0: but I just want to ask about what you're saying about OEMs uh, operating on a small scale with these services right now. When does it go beyond experimental? What What is that barrier that they that they have to push through? I think a
1: good example is Moya uh, in Hamburg, mm-hmm. which is the VW on-demand or demand-responsive transport kind of premium minibus service where you have like kind of nice setup and you can. You, Type on the way to work. It. It's lovely. I've used it a couple Have of times. Have you? I think it's great, and I, I'd love that to be uh, via do some some similar stuff in the UK. Um, i love to see, and so does Zelo actually. But sorry, just name dropping <laughs> <It's been> company, <laughs> just in case Barney uh, and Sam from Zelo get upset for me. Whereas more, <laughs> more, more, more a different example. Um, but the, the 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 point being that um, when autonomous vehicles kind of our, our, kind of AVs are there, then I think you'll see a far more, uh, they'll basically push the go on Moya going out of Hamburg and going lots of places. I think there's a, if you were them right now, you probably would refine, um, make sure you can make money in Hamburg, which I'm not sure they're doing yet. And then, and then, and then, and then grow it. Um, but as soon as you take the driver out, that becomes profitable. Um, and that's taken a lot longer than... Oh, and did you hear about what's going on in San Francisco at the moment? The traffic cones. The traffic cones yeah. and the boot of cruise cars, um, which we could have told you about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Come to London with that and see what happens. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, it's definitely... I think
2: it comes back to the mix thing we were saying with, with micro-mobility. I think with a lot of these services, they, they'll have to come together in a bit of a mix. So things like mm-hmm. sharing and subscription, I've, I've said for a long time, you subscribe where where a household has two cars today, you subscribe to one, you share the second. That's the kind of first iteration of people being able to, you'll have one car with a car seat in, but the second car that your wife drives is maybe uh, can be shared because it's less Mm -hmm. um, challenging from that that sense. And I think it's the same for some of these other mobility services is they've got, um, I'm going to say niche applications and also I don't want to uh, upset Barney or Sam and CEO, but they've got a a huge opportunity with a niche, which is the demand responsive, particularly for like big Locations, So big places that have got commutes, traffic yeah. going to them, commutes, either business parks, universities, mm-hmm. or um, you know, Amazon depots or whatever they might be. And that's a really, really good use of that service, but it's kind of like not mainstream in a city. Um, the same thing at FIRE in Milton Keynes, and they were... Um, they were there as their standalone service pre-COVID, closed, came back. They're now effectively replaced community transport. So, then they're serving like a different niche. Um, so, I think they kind of work and can make money where there's a specific need. But they say that there needs to be kind of the next level of innovation before they can become more mainstream. And they'll still be part of a wider mix, I guess. Mm-hmm. But, um, it's really interesting seeing these kind of things spinning out. The, that Moya thing was very um, big at the, at the time, the launch and the, the value. A load of press, press.
1: A load of press. And I, I think... and. It, I think it's it looks like it's a really good service. I'd love to see more of it. But, um, I think there's just a kind of wait and see, wait and see when AVs are really going to come in. I think only like a few weeks ago they were saying that you can buy the first Ford, which is uh, which has autonomous driving capabilities mm-hmm. in the UK right now. Yeah. Um, so. I think and
2: that's a hands-off service right I think and the first one that's been yeah. approved yeah,
0: yeah so, of, so I tried that on the I tried that on the m40 I went to the launch event and you know you've been invited to take your hands off at 70 miles an hour the, the feeling is so unnatural for someone who's been driving cars for you know x amount of years you're asked to take your hands off the wheel of something but you sort of I think it's going to take a while for the consumer to trust these sorts of things I think I've you know quite an experienced driver and I was a bit worried about it yeah if I'm being asked to hop in a bus that's got no driver at the wheel and and go into city traffic, I don't know whether
1: that might be a, a barrier to adoption as well. In 2014, Uber was saying that they were going to deliver it by 2018. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I, th- I think I think we're a good few years off it yet. Yeah, but yeah. and and how and the social interplay between these services, like evidenced by crews in San Francisco at the moment, mm-hmm. um, is going to take some getting used to. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Interesting. And in terms of some of
2: the the future trends, I know we sort of touched on the hot topics earlier, but um, I guess if we're thinking about the OEMs moving into some of these spaces, the rental companies that we mentioned, how do you see that element of it playing out? Are there some people to to watch in the the market?
1: I think think Sixth are an incredible operator. I know them them fairly well. I think they're they're a company that I would never bet against. I think they, they, they they do an incredible job. Um, comp- always innovating, looking at, um, car sharing, um, chauffeur services, um, and the like, I think they've got a really, I think mean, they, 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 they always want to keep an eye on two other within the, the car rental space that I think are worth looking at, uh, Virtuo, mm-hmm. um, yeah. um, and also UFO, UFO being, um, just a, a, a electric Tesla, mm-hmm. uh, uh, kind of a higher offering. But they've grown really quickly uh, across the U.S. and also Europe. And Virtuo, um, I've used that service for the last few years before buying a car. Um, I think they've got a brilliant, brilliant, uh, brilliant offering. Um, what they've done is essentially allowed you to take the key from a mobile, from a from a car, and put it onto your phone on bl- via Bluetooth, and then they allow you to open up a Mercedes or uh, you know a. a, a electric vehicle via that key via bluetooth doesn't sound like a huge innovation what it does is it puts those vehicles in underground car parks which is somewhere mm. that car sharing has traditionally not been able to go so all of a sudden you've got a density of nice vehicles underground in car parks which happens to be where high density of uh People with disposable income live in cities, so they've got they've really nailed it in terms of product market fit and I think utilisation, and then you're able to uh, manage those locations fairly well because it's back to base offering. Yeah. Um, so I, th- I think they're are they're, they're, they're one to watch as well. Yeah, so, this has come up a couple of times. Yeah, hasn't the future saying. of the
0: car key is a, a sort of metaphor for the way the mobility mm. industry is changing, and it's just
2: opening up access to the vehicle, right? Because those services are kind of a blurring between rental and sharing. So the free floating sharing is really good, but how do you make sure that you've always got the right cars in the right place to service demand? It's a lot easier when you go right. We're just going to have some fixed locations, but we're not going to make it behind. A desk and a rental agreement—all those things you kind of you can put into an app. Bring the Mm -hmm. key. Um, The accessibility becomes as easy as a car-sharing vehicle. But you start to create hubs, and again, I think it's a way of getting some critical mass in these services. We've seen that work work quite well. Um, Six is a really interesting one as well. You mentioned—I've always thought—shared shared the same view that in that kind of they are just in the rent, you know, top five rental company list no one really realizes I don't think they do much PR we were talking about (laughs) PR of things like Moyer and stuff a second ago Um, they don't do much PR on their services but they've kind of got all bases covered and they are really innovating more than some Mm -hmm. of the other rental company I think so that's going to be a fascinating um, watch to see whether they just continue to kind of cover but it feels like they're not not base covering so it sounds like I think they're getting into all these areas but not necessarily pushing on any of them but maybe waiting for one of them to really take off and then just run to right into it
1: they've got so many different businesses they've, they've got the subscription they've got the ride hail they've got um, the car sharing service mm. they've got the rental and they've got vans so mm. you kind of think oh there's and and then there's the hidden business underneath though which is the buying and selling of vehicles yeah. uh, you look at their balance sheet they've however many thousands of cars that they managed to to, to hold and uh, and I think they actually did really well through Covid while as a lot of other car rental companies didn't yeah. um, because of the way they managed their fleet mm. so it's actually quite a complicated business yeah. um, and they do a lot of press in Germany but not much here mm. yeah
2: yeah, definitely going to be a, an interesting one I think um, they're definitely one of the types of businesses that should be well positioned to benefit from, from these changes because of you know, vehicles on the balance sheet, access to uh, or points to access vehicles and all of that kind of thing, um, probably the same with dealerships and links with oEMs it 's interesting how that relationship's mm-hmm. changing through that subscription um, type environment and we were thinking about you know, Volvo and people like that, but is that a, an area that you see you feel like the OEMs can get into a place to compete with people like sixth in that area
1: yeah, so i mean you've you kind of got I remember a few years ago, everyone was saying that they want that you need to cut the dealers out Mm. uh, of the value chain and go direct to consumer um, because that's where the margins are made. But then OEMs traditionally aren't service-based businesses; they kind of sell a car and wave goodbye, Mm. and then the kind of the 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 the, the dealers dealing with that. And if you look at the kind of rise and now decline and maybe stability, we hope of the uh, the kind of kazoo's and those organisations that you kind of cutting the dealers out and um, uh, for secondhand vehicle sales, I think you've you've got a kind of interesting dynamic to to look at. That said, um, I think going back to the original point, uh, lots of organisations would like to take the or at least admit, take take some of the value out of the, what the dealer's offering. So reduce the margins of the dealers uh, and go direct to consumer. So Volvo On Demand uh, operating a fantastic product uh, over in the Nordics. Um, it's actually really impressive. It's a mixture of free-floating, back-to-base subscription uh, service, and it's all, all done a very, very good back backend. Um, they, I think, will be growing across Europe at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, and they operate direct to consumer and they're taking out the the dealer. Um, whether or not that's followed across by o- all OEMs, I don't know. I think they're probably OEMs will probably want to reduce the power and the the margins that dealers take, um, and that probably comes through the direct to direct to uh, subscription the subscription models.
2: Yeah, yeah. I think the the dealer bit is a really really um, interesting topic that comes up a lot uh, I think the, um, what's interesting with OEMs I've always thought when you talk to a customer and you say "Oh, where did you get your car from I got my car from BMW you didn't. You bought it from a dealer which is an independent franchise um, OEMs don't sell cars I mean they have a say, they're a national sales company in most, most markets but the dealers actually sell the car it was mm-hmm. a wholesale to them um, so they do the kind of Top of the funnel marketing stuff and events and other things, but ultimately the sale happens with the dealers. Comes back to the attribution point earlier who did the sale? Where did that, that
1: value come? So, I think so. it is iCabby or the or maybe it's auto, auto Fleet. Two weeks ago, um, you saw that uh, I think it's iCabby, um, which is I have an affiliation with Uber, mm. they uh, are are now operating as an as a sales channel direct to taxi and okay. private hire market. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So they're able to kind of operate on that basis going direct to consumer. And so there'll be the interface uh, between OEMs and that market. And actually I think Uber will probably uh, participate in, in that in some way. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you do buy it from the dealer, but when you, if you uh, in your example, but um, I think dealers, might also be subscription businesses or other organisations quite soon, and if you're subscribing rather than buying, is the, the does the dealer's uh, relationship just become a, a kind of a maintenance one? Mm-hmm. Um, they won't be happy with that, but that that's maybe where the well, this, of travel is, is the uh, this lies lies at the heart of the
0: the agency debate. We're seeing a lot of car manufacturers now. The, the vast majority of of global car manufacturers are moving to the agency model. Mm-hmm. You know, scrapping wholesales, taking that direct relationship with their customers uh, and not cutting the dealer out of the equation because they still need these these physical touch points. A lot of people still want to test drive a car and as you say there is the maintenance aspect to it. But you sort of wonder whether that could foster uh, a subscription, growth in the subscription sphere because the, the car manufacturer is, is controlling the sale process so they can they can shape it how they want.
1: I completely agree, I think that's exactly what's going to happen. I think if OEMs are going to do that themselves, they're going to need to bring a lot of skills in-house around actually managing customers, which is Mm. not something they've done before, Mm. Um, traditionally. at least.
2: Yeah, I read some interesting stuff this week. That's kind of where I was going a bit with with my point, actually, is that thing of uh, an OEM, although they all have a sales director and they'll have a marketing team, it's all top of the funnel stuff. It's not Mm. transactional. And if you're going then to say, well, we're going to become a direct-to-consumer, you actually have to have some skills in-house to be able to to sell. And even if that's going to be digitally and it's going to be marketing led, it's like more bottom of the funnel stuff. Um, and I've seen that there's been some kind of high profile moves in some of the OEMs of kind of leaders leaving and other things, retiring, doing other bits. And uh, I saw someone commenting and saying, oh, this is the bit of what's changing of the guard. If you're going to be direct to consumer, you need to have a business that's set up to be more like an e or a mm-hmm. sales derived business rather than a, actually a wholesale business, which is what mm-hmm. an OEM is. Um, there's also the challenges around the balance sheet. You said about six balance sheet and all the vehicles. OEMs don't have vehicles on the balance sheet because they go get wholesaled to a dealer, and a dealer either sells them to a leasing company or finances them. So there's also some of those challenges as well. But in theory, they should be really well placed for this stuff, and the dealers should have a role, a kind of transactional customer care role. But um, there's a few big gaps to fill, I think, in some of those spaces. Whereas someone like six maybe is sitting there with all of the tools they need to, to be able to do it. Um, mm-hmm. uh, it's going to be going to be interesting to see. Well well on that on note of maybe optimism slash uncertainty.
0: <laughs> yeah, uh, it feels like a good point to uh to bring this to a close. Yeah. thank you so much for, for coming in and sharing all that insight with us. It's been fascinating and Pleasure. Uh, I'm sure you you need a nap now after uh, after your big bike ride <laughs> Get back on my bike. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, excellent. Yeah, maybe, nice. maybe just the one today. Yeah. Yeah. Keep it simple. Uh thank you very much for coming in, Chris. Yeah. And uh, and thank you for listening. Well we'll see you next time. Thank you.